When good people, good people. do nothing. Uh-huh. I'll tell you like Let me hear you. Elizabeth Taylor told her eighth husband, I won't keep you long. We believe in the three B's in Alaska, be brief, be sincere, and be seated. We further believe in the three S's, study it, say it, and sit down. Amen. When good people do nothing. And my brothers and my sisters, on March the 28th, 2023, following the horrific murder of six people at the Covenant School in Nashville, Tennessee, Senate Chaplain Dr. Barry C. Black offered the following prayer. Eternal God, we stand in awe of you. Uh -huh. Lord, when babies die at a school, it is time for us to move beyond thoughts and prayers. Right. Remind our lawmakers of the words of the British statesman Edmund Burke. All that is necessary for evil to triumph is for good people to do nothing. My Lord, right. My Lord. Lord deliver our senators from the paralysis of analysis while they wait for the miraculous. Use them to battle the demonic forces and that seek to engulf us. We pray in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. My brothers and my sisters, we should all agree uh, that the world is a dangerous place. The forces that threaten to annihilate us are all around us. Catastrophic storms are always brewing somewhere. I heard somebody say this morning, the devil is busy. Some say it's caused by global warming, disease, and deadly viruses that are lurking in our environment. Political upheaval looms on the horizon. And prolific gun possessions threatens mass murders without warning. If these seem like distant troubles, it is only because you have not yet been victimized by their intent. Oh, oh, but there's good news, beloved. The good news is that we do have protection against such evil energies, but it requires our joint participation. Courage, daring, and gallantry are not just for the military, we, we call ourselves, we who call ourselves Christians, yeah. are God's army, right. charged to be his combatants against all types of danger, mm -hmm. dishonesty, and debauchery. Yeah. Oh, but unfortunately, even Christians can sometimes become desensitized. That's right. That's right. We, we oh, can no. see our cowardice against evil by the evidence that is all around us. You see, we like to call out the little stuff, but we ignore the elephants in the room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When evil seems too big for us to handle, we retreat. I actually had a preacher call me one day and say, Mills, I hear that sometimes your sermons are too political. Imagine that. Somehow it has now become wrong to point out sin wherever it may be. That was all the proof I needed that in 
too many situations as our troubles mount and threaten, we have become anesthetized or numb to the consequences of do-nothingness. Yes, this phenomenon of negligence and self-pacification is not new. Even in biblical times, God's chosen people often displayed an indifference of, or apathy toward their calling. Israel often chose to go with the flow rather than comfort uh, what they had going on or, abandon, uh, or, or abandonment of its covenant relationship with the Lord. Israel, too, became desensitized and was lured into the world of sinful indifference and detachment. Oh, our text that we've been tasked to teach today refers to Israel as Jeshurun, which is Hebrew. It means upright one or blessed one. But Israel was anything but upright. Moses wrote that once Israel got rich and comfortable, they kicked at or snubbed the Mosaic laws. Moses said they forsook God and lightly esteemed the rock of his salvation. Time and time again, they would suffer. Uh, they would suffer this same condition, a self-imposed indifference to God of their to the God of their salvation, uh -huh. the God who had called them to be a light in a dark world. Yeah. Uh, my brothers and my sisters, it's a big job being God's light to the world. Yeah. It requires us to step up. And step out in faith yes. and take a stand against evil. Right. Not right. just on occasion, but each and every day. Yes. I'm reminded that Luke said we ought to pick up our cross what? daily yes. and follow him. Yes. While yes. Satan is freely walking about seeking whom he may devour. Yes. We too should be busy about our father's yes. business. Yes. Yeah, yeah, when evil shows itself as a roaring lion, Order. we should not be retreating like passive lambs. We should be circulating, not circumventing. We should be acting, not avoiding, because we are the called who are responsible for the societal application of God's principles to our human existence. We are God's missionaries to the world. I'm reminded that my grandmother once told me that you might be the only Jesus that somebody sees. Yes, my brothers and sisters, the Lord is counting on you not to lightly esteem or despise Christ as your Savior. If we don't want to become a Jeshuron army of backsliders, what are the pitfalls or traps we need to watch out for. All right, all right. Well, I'm glad you asked. There's three of them. First, we must watch out for the signs that God has second place in our lives. So we'll call that first point, keep God first. Second, we must watch out. And those of you that like to take notes, I'm going to come back to it. Second, we must watch out for weak faith and make sure your faith is grounded in the truth. Right. So we'll call that second point, keep God real. Right. Third, we need to watch out for weariness. 
So we'll call that last point, keep God to the finish line. So first, keep God first. Second, keep God real. And third, keep God to the finish line. Let us look at each of these in the light of scripture and see what God wishes to teach us today through his word. First, we must watch out for the signs that God has second place in our lives. Uh-huh. Keep God first. Be careful to keep God the primary and principal part of your existence. In other words, keep Jesus the main thing. I know we hear Christians say they put God first. But, how, but as often as we hear it, it runs the risk of becoming a Christian cliche. But there's nothing trite about the idea of keeping God first. In fact, it's thoroughly biblical. Listen, everyone has priorities. We arrange our schedules, our budgets, and relationships according to their importance to us. Putting God first means we give him top priority over everything else. He has to be the principal figure in our lives and central to all that we do and all that we think. When we choose to put God first, we determine that he is more important than any other person. Uh His word is more valuable than any other message. And his will is weightier than any other imperative. When we put God first, we keep the greatest commandment, love your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. In other words, we are totally invested in our relationship with God. Everything we have and everything we are is devoted to him and we hold nothing back. We become, as Romans 12 and 1 says, a living sacrifice. Who willingly, who willingly say, as Christ said, not my will, but thine will be done. Every good soldier, I got two of them behind me, must have total allegiance to his master. Failing to keep God first and foremost can lead to fallout that we do not want to experience. Uh Separation from God can not only be painful, but it can be terminal. God must be the object of our worship, not the fame and fortune Satan entices us with. To lure us away from God, sure, you can have both, but it's a slippery slope. Jesus said it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. The eye of the needle was the name Jerusalem gave to its merchant city gate. It was narrow. Short. It was a narrow, short gate. Yet, this was the gate by which the camels piled high with goods to sell had to enter the city. I want you to picture for a moment a camel stacked with saddlebags strapped to its back. And you can begin to understand how hard it was to get the camel through the gate. It was too narrow and too low to accommodate a greedy load. When the merchants tried to get their camels to bow down to navigate the challenge, sometimes the camels would lay down and refuse to get up. This caused a traffic jam. Jesus' brilliant analogy was custom made for Israel, but we get the picture. The more wealth you pursue, the harder it is to navigate your way to heaven without losing your direction or causing your faith to suffer a spiritual traffic jam. The lesson here is that don't 
relegate God to second place in your life. Measure every decision and action in life against his holy, solid instruction. Keep God first. Number two, second thing I want to bring out here is watch out for weak faith. Make sure your faith is grounded in truth. Keep God real. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, the Apostle Paul warned the young preacher about people who had a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. In other words, they were fake friends. They were phony. It's easier than you think to become one of them. We get so caught up in the trappings of our worship service that we turn into a program rather than an experience with the Lord. Our order of service can become uh, so uninspiring and stale when we don't allow the interruption of the Holy Spirit. There is danger in worship that lacks the presence of God in us. Real worship acknowledges his presence, his house, and his creation. And it is not an hour or two hour encounter, but a minute by minute connection with the creator. The Bible warns us that in the last days there will be an increase of those who go through the motions of worship, but may in fact have a heart and a mind that's far from God. We are clearly warned not to become one of them. Let God be the mold to shape you, the magnet to attract you, the fire to warm you, the fence to retain you, the testimony to delight you, and the law to instruct you and the goal to motivate you keep God real Uh and so I say unto you beloved I thank you for being patient with me and I thank you for being kind and may the Lord God bless you real good I'm deeply sorry if I've held you too long as I hasten to a close I come to remind you what happens when good people do nothing. I first told you to keep God first. I then told you to keep God real. Finally, I want you to watch out for weariness. And I want you to keep God to the finish line. Don't be a dropout. As the old saying goes, quitters never win. But I submit to you, my brothers and sisters, that winners never quit. The Israelites kept losing their patience. They knew what they wanted, but the problem was that they wanted it now. So they abandoned God's will in favor of their own. They took matters into their own hands. Does that sound familiar? It's worse today than it was back in ancient times. We are a microwave generation. We want everything now. In our homes, we have programmable washers and dryers. We have microwaves, TVs, and even my grill is Bluetooth. In banking, we have mobile deposits, direct deposits, PayPal, Cash App, and Zelle. Even in transportation, we now have cars that will give us directions and Teslas that will drive themselves. So it's no surprise that our prayers are a reflection of the times. Lord, give me this and Lord, give me that. 
we have the same problem the Israelites had. We want it now. And when we don't get it, we turn away from God. But if we're going to win, we can't quit on God. We are God's arms and legs for this spiritual journey. He depends on us to hear him and heed to his will. We are his will in action. When something needs to be done, the Lord is counting on us to be his faithful followers. He's counting on us to do it. Remember, you can be busy doing nothing. You can be worldly busy and word unwise. You can be dangerously overwrought and severely undertopped. You can have a calendar full and spiritually empty. We all want to finish the race. We all want to do as Paul said. Seeing we have, we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight of the sin that so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that's set before us. The Lord is calling for warriors, true warriors, bold, brave, daring, fearless, valiant, courageous, good soldiers who refuse to stand by and do nothing. When duty calls for us to be courageous, to step up and step out, God needs battle-tested believers ready to spring into action because good people can't afford to do nothing. Good people can't afford to do nothing because of Jesus. He's my rock in a weary land. Jesus. In a time of storm, Jesus, he's my friend when all my friends are gone. Jesus, he's bread when I'm hungry, water when I'm thirsty. Anybody know him? Anybody know Jesus? When folks talked about me, when folks scandalized my name, when folks said I wasn't going to make it, I could have been dead. Leaping in my grave, but he saved me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, Jesus, that whosoever believeth upon him shall have everlasting life. I hear what you're saying, Brother Mills. Who is this Jesus you're talking about? Let me introduce you. He's Adam's redeemer. He's Abel's vindicator. He's Abraham's sacrifice. He's Noah's ark. He's Moses' bush on fire. He's Joshua's battle axe. He's Gideon's fleece. He was Samson's power. He was David's music. He was Solomon's wisdom. Jeremiah's balm. His balm in Gilead. He's Ezekiel's wheel. In the middle of the wheel. He's Joel's horse. Horn in the valley. He's the lily of the valley. The bright and morning star. He's that rose. That rose of Sharon. He's the fairest. The fairest of 10,000. He's my way. Out of nowhere. 
my very present help in trouble. He's my guide. He's my keeper. Is there anybody here that knows my Jesus? Is there anybody here that knows my Lord? He's God's only son. He's Mary's baby boy. He's James and Jude's brother. He's Matthew's king. He's Mark's suffering servant. He's Luke's great physician. He's John word made flesh. He's Acts coming of the Holy Ghost. He gave his life for me. He carried a cross to a hill called Calvary. They laid him down. They laid him down on that old rugged cross. I heard him say, if I be lifted up, I'll draw, I'll draw all men unto me. They hung him high, they stretched him wide. He hung right there from the sixth to the ninth hour. He hung right there to the earth, rocked and real like a drunken man. He hung right there to the sun, refused to shine. He hung right there to the soldier said, this must be the son of God. He put his head in the locks of his shoulder. Y'all know what he did. He died. Didn't he die? He died. They took him down off that rugged cross. Put him in a bar or two. I learned a long time ago. When you borrow something, you're supposed to give it back. He stayed there Friday night. Stayed there Saturday. Stayed there Saturday night. I don't know about you. I believe he called heaven switchboard. Asked for a wake-up call. St. Peter say, what time you want to get up? I got 3.30, I got 4.30, I got 5.30. Jesus said, don't matter. As long as it's early, early Sunday morning. He got up with all power, all power in his hands. What kind of power did he get up with? He got up with healing power, got up with saving power, got up with delivering power. Got up with power, power, so that good people don't have to stand around and do nothing.